We are on. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Fitness in Philosophy podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin, and I'm joined by OPEX fitness founder, James Fitzgerald. James, when... Uh, hey there, everyone. When things kind of finish up with COVID, hopefully sometime this year, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. see. Um, what's your favorite place to travel to? Where, where do you want to, where do you want to head to? Yeah, I don't have a great question. I don't have a favorite place. Um, but I do have an itch and, uh, it comes from a lot of travel as a kid. Uh, I was born in the Northern Canada isolated community and through my sporting experience, um, I was just telling my wife about this in a walk the other night, um, for grade 10, 11, and 12, every second weekend from September to May, really, I was out of town like flying out of town for sport, uh, community sport, different kinds of things. So uh, ironically, uh, I missed uh, 80 days of school in the last year in grade 12. Oh my God. <laughs> Think about that. Uh, but, you know, I had, uh, you know, the capability of doing some homework on the road and having some, you know, anyways. So that, that's where the, that's where the, you know, see the world uh, feeling came from. And then I've been very grateful and fortunate to, have a business and, uh, and money and the opportunity to do that with my family for a long period of time. And so that was embedded. And now this has stopped for a while. So I don't have a favorite place, but I can't wait to do it again. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. How about yourself? Looking to get around, come to AZ, get some sunshine on that, uh, skin. I know. Right. Uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be nice. Yeah. I mean, I, my grandparents traveled to, I think it was like 140 countries, they were went to all seven continents in Antarctica twice. My mom, gosh, my mom had the uh, got the itch as well. So like, I've been to like before the age of eighteen, I'd been to Tibet, Beijing, Tokyo, um, Australia a couple times. So uh, I'm trying to think, where would I like? Where would I? And I, I we moved a lot as a kid. Like when I so yeah moved from New York and then to Dallas and then to Southern California. Um, I'd say probably, probably my, I think to me there, I'd be curious your thoughts. Like to me, there's a difference between traveling and vacation. Yeah. Traveling is like, so my mom's a big fan of like, okay, we go somewhere, we go to Europe and it's like, there's something on the itinerary every single second. That's like one mode of existence which I can understand and appreciate. And then there's vacationing, which I'd say I'm currently more of a fan of, which is just like mental break, relax, beach, snowboarding, something yes. like that. Yeah. Um, we went to uh, Bora Bora once. That was probably, that was probably the coolest place or one of the coolest places I've ever that, been. That was pretty that. cool. And you're like uh, Arnold Shackleton. Who's that? That was a famous uh, uh, explorer way back in the day that uh, I think sailed the seas of Antarctica or uh, claim, well, well, not claim to, but did uh, uh, sail the seas down there and wrote about uh, the harrowing journey. Um, I think actually the book is called, uh, let's see here. I think it's called Endurance. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Anyways, the classic uh, explorer that's uh, in, in, in uh, you and I, it seems. Yeah, well, my mom is, and I, I'm, I'm ultimately glad she did it. I was a little bit worried just with everything, like uh, just given the timing of when she was 
going, but it was all pre-COVID. Like it had been her dream to kind of hold up her uh, picture of her uh, parents in Antarctica while she was Antar in Antarctica. So December 2019, she decided to head down there and took like a icebreaker boat and all the rest of this stuff. Um, and I was like, yeah, we can just, we can wait till later. What, what's the rush? It's no big deal. You know, well, let's just, let's, let's wait. And she decided to ultimately go and then of course this all hit. So she was able to say that she's visited all seven continents and was able to hold up the picture. So that was kind of cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think about the, uh, the opportunities my children have gotten as, as far as well. They've been to, they've been to some cool spots. Uh, and if you culminate that with my journeys around the globe for education, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to have a good imprint on them. You know, they want to, cause they keep, they keep talking about going back to, um, we were in London and Spain or in England and Spain um, two years ago. Um, and they, they really enjoyed that. And so, the, cause I think they, they, they see it as like, you know, di they're just, they're just, uh, the distance is magnified, right? It's like, holy cow, like here we are in this desert and, you know, you, you open up Google maps and you go across the ocean way over here and you open up, you know, where we were, uh, in Spain, you know, and, uh, they just find it fascinating, the whole different world and different culture and language and how people operate yet. Those are other humans. And that's another young girl. And that, you know, it's like, it's a beautiful opportunity for you to see how small you are in the world, but how collective it, everything is, you know? Um, so I'm hoping that give that gave them a little itch because I didn't have those opportunities as broad of a scale when I was younger. Um, I went to more local, but lots of traveling, but more local Northeast um, area. Anyways, um, what, uh, what uh, number episode is it today? This is number 20. Oh, solid. It's going to be some form of celebration. Yeah. What's 20 years of marriage? What's that uh, considered? The bronze? Mm -hmm. Is that the silver? No. Gold, I think, isn't gold, I think gold is 50. Is that 50? Yeah. Kind of deduced from that. Maybe silver is 25. So close to silver. Okay, cool. So bronze. Think, yeah, bronze. Call bronze. Yeah, well, here's our bronze anniversary. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm trying to remember the exact date, but I think sometime in January last year, you posted a picture of a philosophy book and I emailed you. Yeah. And that's that's right. kind of how it this all started. So that was. Kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know if it was uh, Bertrand Russell. Perhaps? I think, yeah, I think it was. Yep. Yeah. Oh, well, man, the journey's been uh, great thus far. I mean, we haven't fired one another yet. So, okay. hey, it's got to be going. It's got to be all up and up, you know? Yeah. Got to be a sign. Got to be a sign we're going to get to 50. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I think from what I've seen in terms of comments and different things online, like people have been enjoying the discussion. So it's been going well. That's great. That's great. Well, I'm glad we've contributed in some way, shape or form to uh, some people's thoughts and give them some ammunition as to how, go, how to go about uh, navigating their thinking. Yeah. One might say we've had an impact. Well, <laughs> let's make that uh, assumption and uh, discuss impact, shall we? Yes, we shall. All right, guys. So today we're going to discuss impact, uh, the couplet, 
that we're going to do is last time we discussed value and today we're going to discuss impact and James and I were discussing pre-call how we could discuss the connection between the two because they are related, but they are distinct at the same, same time. Um, so just like we've been doing, I want to start off with a dictionary definition and then talk about some philosophical considerations. So if we talk about impact as a noun, it's, it can be defined as a forceful contact or onset, uh, transitive verb to have direct effect or impact on, to strike forcefully, intransitive to have an impact on, to impinge or make contact, especially forcefully. Now, when I was reading through those, I was, I was thinking back to, I forget what episode, I think it might've been the last one we were talking about like slapping someone across the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just kind of interesting connection. I'll have to go back and contextualize that, but yes. yeah, we did actually say it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, con- I think it was in regards to be- behavior change, right? Yes. Yes. It was like, uh, so you're in a meeting with someone and we can do this little dance about, you know, a nutrition or fitness client. And we can do this little dance about should you be eating broccoli or should you not? And, you know, high intensity interval training. And, you know, we were joking about the Zen cone approach where it's like, you know, just, <laughs> whoa, whoa, I just woke up. What? <laughs> Every time I mention Doritos, is that what happens? Maybe. <laughs> there was a comedian. I forget who it was. I'll have to see if I can find the clip. Where they were like, now, of course, disclaimer. Oh, my gosh. Like, we're going to get deplatformed if I say this. But basically, the comedian was joking, joking, didn't actually do this, wasn't advocating it, but saying that he wished that as a kid, like as they were driving by McDonald's, his parents would have just like punched him in the face. Well, that's just... from, that's from the, uh, that's Morgan, uh, whatever, Morgan from uh, the guy who did the documentary on eating uh, McDonald's for like a couple of months. Oh, was it Super Size Me? Yeah. Morgan Super Size Me. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Maybe, that, maybe that's what it was from. It, it, uh-huh. Either he took that from this person, this comedian, or he said this in the movie and then this comedian may have said it. But anyways, uh, that's where, that's the whole, that's the humor that I always think about inside I use that one all the time. Yeah, so we're, that's, we're that's not, impact. Yeah, that's 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 impact. So we're talking about like <laughs> affecting the outcome of how people behave, but then there's also this double meaning that to the word that's somewhat related about like having an impact through impact. So yeah, anyway. well, it's also I also think about the uh, you know like like a punch, like a punch in the face. That, you know, we want to we want to use that as a very simple example, but you know, there's there's multiple scales of the intensity and effectiveness of the punch in the face right so you know punch in the face to someone who's been punched in the face a thousand times and they they do it all the time you know as part of their job as a fighter you know well what's what's the actual impact you know as opposed to someone who's brand new uh, who doesn't know how to give a punch and just whack someone and like knocks their teeth out you know what's the impact of that one you know um, so you can see there's a, there's someone who's, you know, uh, giving the intention and doing the action and the force, but we also want to discuss, even in the context, we'll talk about it today for any aspect connected to fit- fitness, there's intensity inside of it. It has to be measured somewhat. Um, and we do really want to talk about the, the consequences and the effect on the other side, right? Like, what well, was it really a punch, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you know, sure, it looked like a punch, but yeah, et cetera. So um, 
I thought about that too, right? I was like, yeah, that's a very easy definition of impact um, in let's call it a physical sense, right? Um, but uh, it does carry over to what we're going to discuss. That is helpful. Yeah. And it also has something to do with, you know, the notion of reality hitting you. Do you know what I mean? Like you being forced to yeah. confront reality. It's that right. Mike, Mike Tyson quote, um, everyone's got a plan to get hit in the face. Yes. Um, yes. And not, not to go down this rabbit hole, but just it, it made me think of it. It's happened in the past couple of days. There's been a lot of discussion around um, how QAnon has essentially had to come to grips with the fact that their prophecy of what was supposed to happen, you know, Wednesday at noon did, did not come to pass. And just that, just the, I guess the sociology and psychology of like, what do you do when like reality hits? Yeah. What do you do when there's that impact? Yeah. Um, and there are some people who are like, well, it was for all for not, we got duped. And then there are others who are, you know, trying to come up with other stories, but just, I, I bring that up again, not to go down that rabbit hole, but just to say yeah. like, what does one do when one's worldview Yes. impacts with reality and you know you can either change your worldview to reflect reality or you know it just is an interesting uh notion of how do you relate to reality once it's made an impact i guess yeah and i also think about the QAnon observers relative to you and me is that they may not see it as a punch in the face they may see it as another <laughs> opportunity of a oppressive voice or or some kind of you know, right. mishandling of information or something, you know? So it, it gets, it gets, it still depends, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they were, they were discussing that, like how, you know, there's 50% who are like kind of seeing the writing on the wall. And then there's 50% who are like, well, you can always reinterpret the tea leaves. Yes. No matter what data you get from the world, I can always read that in light of, um, you know, different things. That's what Carl uh, Popper, the famous philosopher of science once said about the notion of, falsifiability in relation to like um, Marxism and, and Freudian psychology you said when you can interpret any single bit of evidence in light of your theory, mm -hmm. then the theory just kind of goes poof. Cause there's no criteria of falsifiability. Yes. You're just reinterpreting the tea leaves. Right. So. Right. Yeah. I like that. So. I like that. So anyway, just an interesting connection there between, you know, what, what we're mainly going to be talking today is not the philosophy of, what we're mainly going to be talking about today isn't the philosophy of punches. It's going to be, you know, the philosophy of like, how do we make an impact upon the world, but just an interesting connection there of how, you know, that, that notion of striking or uh, confronting reality or having a, you know, direct head on collision with reality can be useful in that regard. Yeah. And uh, I think we may just to, just to add to your language, we may not be trying to solve the big solution as to how we make an impact um, or maybe we will, but I want to, I want to really, uh, just help people organize their thoughts around what impact means. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, you know, we can, <laughs> we can just allow time to decide upon uh, if, if, if there was impact, you know? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think that's really one of the main big important questions we'll be trying to answer today, which is what is it consistent um, yeah. what's, what's the time frame? Who's being affected? All all these different things. Yeah. So getting to the philosophical considerations um, with regard to impact, we've talked about utilitarianism and consequentialism in previous episodes, but this seems probably like one of the most relevant episodes to discuss it because this is um, the you know 
a lot of that moral philosophy is tied up in the notion of impact. So if anyone out there listening has ever seen the NBC show, The Good Place with uh, Kristen Bell and Ted Danson, which is the closest anyone's ever come to having a sitcom based on philosophy, or if they've ever heard of the trolley problem, all of these things are related to this notion of uh, utilitarianism. So consequentialism and utilitarianism are both moral theories and sometimes they get confused, but um, consequentialism is the, is the broader term and utilitarianism is a type of consequentialism. So consequentialism basically says that we should judge the worth of a moral action primarily based on the consequences it brings about. Now we need to contrast this with other moral theories that base morality on intentions like Kantian moral philosophy or the agent uh, or certain virtues like Aristotelian moral philosophy and certain moral philosophies try to combine all of those and get some bit of the consequence and the intention. But consequentialism basically says the relevant moral detail is what was the consequence that was brought about. Now, a silly example here to kind of illustrate this is you know, something is good to the extent James receives $100 as a result of, you know, this particular action. <laughs> that's, a, that's a moral theory right there. Um, that, that could be a consequentialist moral theory. You could have any consequence there. Um, and then we would need to discuss like, well, is that the right consequence and, and things like that. So I'll pause there for a second. Any thoughts or questions with that? Uh, yeah, no, I just... Um wrote down there that uh, your last point on we will need to discuss if that would be the the right way or the right way of going about it because <laughs> right. we we do want to eventually get there but you've laid it out uh perfectly so that people just know the you know the definition I, I wrote down also maybe a word that can come back up and you can correct me if i'm wrong if people can interject it um we're looking at uh outcomes and uh looking looking through that lens of you know, what will the outcomes be for self, for the whole, for the context of what you're discussing? Um, and then uh, the judgment of outcomes. Um, and that's something I, you know, it may flow in and out of our in the discussion of that. And to back up how we're eventually going to get to that, but I want people to hold on to that. It's the common, you know, um, platitudes, you know, that really, you know, in fitness that are sold, including, you know, in our language, in some way, shape or form, where we say, you know, you want to go out there and you want to make an impact. This is where it comes from, or you want to, you want to make an impact on fitness, or you want to have, you want to have some, some kind of impact in your life, you know, or yeah, uh, you, sh you should impact people, you know, like, yeah, so this is where it comes from as to why we want to discuss that, not uh, because we think it's all worth not, is uh, we actually just do want to measure what you're actually discussing because there's far more conversation around it just being a virtue signal today that you're you're making impact. And I want people to think really hard about the definition of it. Yeah, agreed. And I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that because something I used to discuss uh, when I was teaching philosophy, but I didn't put in the outline, but I, I'm, I'm glad we're coming back to it based on what you said. One of... So there are many objections and problems with utilitarianism and consequentialism, which we'll get to. But one of the virtues of consequentialism or utilitarianism is exactly what you said, like the outcomes, you can see it. Mm -hmm. You know, a big objection to any moral theory based on intention is you can't see an intention. Mm -hmm. You can't see a virtue. 
And people will always say, well, I didn't have bad intentions. Well, you know, I had the best of intentions in, in doing this. But with a consequentialist moral theory, did more people get fed? Did, you know, more money go to Oxfam? Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there really is this on the ground, empirical, we can measure it um, result that we are referencing upon which we can actually base the morality of something. And I guess another connection, just based on what you're saying with fitness, um, you know, that, that is something we do in fitness. It's like, you know, yeah. where does the rubber meet the road? How do we measure this? Yeah. And we don't wait for 18 years before we measure it. We have like every couple of weeks, there's like guardrails and measurement techniques that we use to see that we're moving towards those outcomes. Right. So that's the, yeah. Yeah. That's so great. for all it's, problems and objections, which we'll eventually discuss, that is a gigantic plus of the theory is the fact that you have this concrete measurement that you can reference. Yeah, uh, will we also have opportunity, I just thought about it, you know, the lane of um, measurement and towards something that's impactful as to how you're defining it, but uh, maybe you have the wrong intentions. Are we, are we then back to dissolving that to say, well, first we got to land with what good intentions are first and then go, you know well, what I mean? Like, I mean uh, Cause people could be measuring things for years and years and they're like, Oh, money in the bank. And that's their, that they define that as their way of impact. Yes. I mean, we can, I think a consequentialist has very good grounds for, making arguments with regard to what is ultimately going to be the thing that is worth measuring and what, what counts, but they're going to be, they're going to have a tough time with talking about the intentions behind something. It will still be with reference to outcomes. And this is one of the main potential objections to the theory, which is that, you know, the ends justify the means or, you know, your intentions could be nefarious, but as long as you brought about a good thing, um, you know, that we agree is a good thing. Um, yeah, it was good. And that, that is where intentions bump up against this view. Okay, good. I just wanted to lay it out there. Cause it's the, it's the classic, uh, you know, the heat that I always get back is like, James, why, why prohibit people from moving? Like, why are you hating on, on these concepts and ideas? You know, people are exercising, man, just relax. Like they're all getting together and dancing under lights and loud music, you know? So it's, that's where it goes right it's like just you know hold hold your horses there where the outcomes are we're having people are moving more right, right. See, it's like well what's the in you know and and right next to obviously is like oh we're making an impact on health and we're, we're decreasing the obesity issue you know right um, so. so i think there are two ways to well a number of ways to respond to that but two relevant to what you were just saying one is as a consequentialist where you could say, no, we're just measuring the wrong thing. That's just the wrong outcome. We're not looking for that in particular. Mm -hmm. The hard thing for a consequentialist to do, which we've discussed in the past is, well, that's the wrong intentions behind what you're doing. I don't care if they're moving in this particular way. What I care about are the intentions aligned with the particular actions that are being pursued. And that's much harder for a consequentialist to, yeah. um, uh, give an account of. Uh, the struggle is real there then. Yeah. So, so that's consequentialism. Um, now utilitarianism is by far the most famous type 
of consequentialism. It's it's by far the most famous moral theory within consequentialism. So uh, this was developed by Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill, mainly in 19th century uh, England. Uh, and it says roughly that an action is good that it, to the extent that it maximizes utility and bad to the extent that it interferes with or minimizes utility. Now, the immediate question is, what's utility? Typically, how it gets defined is maximizing the greatest good or the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. So typically, the principle of utility is stated in the following way. An action is praiseworthy if it increases happiness and is blameworthy if it decreases happiness. Um, how do we increase happiness? Typically, the utilitarian is going to refer to pleasure. They're going to say happiness is the increase in pleasure. And Jeremy Bentham fam famously has all these different measures of pleasure, like its intensity, its duration, its certainty, its remoteness, its fecundity, all these different things. Um, and a famous example that's used within utilitarianism or um, that's, that's helpful in illustrating it is the, the trolley problem, right? So you have uh, a train careening down a track on one side of the tracks is one person and the other side is four people or 10 people or however many people you wanna make it, but it's more than one. And you are at the lever, you have the opportunity to pull the lever uh, what is the morally right thing to do? Well, according to utilitarian, it is to pull the lever in the direction of the one person to save 10 or four or whatever it's going to be. The idea being that you have maximized the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, the I always, uh, Peter Singer was the first one introduced the trolley problem to me, or maybe listening to, um, I forget who it was that mentioned that in the same conversation, but um, I thought it was... Uh, I thought it was interesting. Maybe you can explain a little bit more why they would use something as intensive as a life or lives in the consequences of the choices you make. Why would they choose that as opposed to, it wasn't there another storyline they could use to make it uh, like a little bit more, a little bit less uh, intensive as opposed to human life or why did they use human life for that? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think it, it, I think part of it has it to do with just the visceral impact. Uh, I mean, you, you, you could do it with regard to, you know, Robin Hood, steal from the rich to give to the poor. You could do right. it that way too. Right. Um, but, you know, Peter Singer is a, is a famous modern day utilitarian. Um, he's got a similar thing where he's got a foundation called the life you, you can save, which is actually trying to do really good things in the world. But uh, he's got a philosophical argument that basically says, look, why would you buy hundred dollar pair of shoes when that could go to save a hundred people from famine or something like that. So I think they use, whether it's the trolley problem or Peter Singer in that particular example, I think they use the notion of saving a life to get that visceral kind of like, Oh, I, I need to, mm -hmm. you know, um, do this. And sometimes it, it hides certain problems with argumentation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the trolley problem has a lot of problems with it. Singer's, uh, argument, although for an ostensibly good thing has problems with it. So I think, I think that's part of the reason. So, yeah. Or, okay. Or you or you were to put someone like, uh, who has the DNA, you know, makeup of Jesus Christ in, in, uh, in, in their compassion, that's well known and on their t-shirt as the one person. And then you just have 10 humans, you know, that changes up the, 
the piece too. Of course, that's that's pre-reading, of course, prior to the trolley issue, but that that creates an issue with it also. Yeah, or like, what if it's your mother in the burning building? You know what I mean? Like there, there, there's all sorts of, or yeah. what if you don't, you know, what about your integrity? You know what I mean? What about dignity? What about you not wanting to take a life? So, I mean, there's all sorts of problems with um, the trolley problem and with that mode of thinking. Um, if anyone ever saw Avengers, you know, Thanos, spoiler alert, <laughs> is out there to kill half of the universe yeah. to save the other half. It's like, well, okay. Uh, you know, that, that that's an extreme problematic type of utilitarianism, but that is very much in the mold of that notion. Yeah. So like take whatever moral means we need to bring about the greatest good for the greatest number of people. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, good challenge. I uh, was thinking about uh, the, when you said the definition being in their three words, action that maximizes utility. Um, and then I quickly reverted to uh, just doing checks and balances on my language around um, the action that we have in place for our language in OPEX that tries to raise the coach value, the client's autonomy, and the business uh, capital reinvestment opportunities. So when we say winning, we define it as winning for everyone involved, i.e. our def definition of utility is something worthwhile doing because the coach can become a pro, uh, the uh, client can become physically sovereign in knowledge around that, and the business can stand on its own two legs regardless of the storms that come through it. Um, and we could bump that up against a number of other options. I would make the argument that the owner is the only one that wins in my definition and how I defined it for uh, the other models. So the owner increases money, the business increases brand awareness, but there's a big strong argument of, um, you know, the, the, the winning of that project in comparison to ours. Right. Uh, so that's what I thought about uh, immediately for uh, that definition and where it sits for, for fitness. Yeah, no, I think that's a great example. I mean, another related one uh, in the business realm is, you know, there's been a, you know, for the past 40 years, 40, 50 years, um, the notion that a business's purpose is to maximize profit for its shareholders. Um, you know, that that's coming under increasing scrutiny. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not saying that it's wrong for a business to make a profit, but is that the sole and only good? And what if that comes at the expense of, you know, let's take the fitness example, like you said, what if that comes at the expense of, um, you know, take a big box gym, a client, yeah. you know, getting their fitness or a coach, um, you know, having the proper knowledge and being able to live a livable life and, and things like that. So, yeah, I think that's a, a, re a very relevant consideration. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or the uh, questioning of, uh, just because it's uh, apropos for the time, the, uh, all, all the uh, positive you know, signaling around the open participation again to increase um, you know, uh, movement in the affiliates again. Yeah. You know, you know it's, uh, it's not a right or wrong. It's just a, you know, uh, where's the utility in that for what the language used to be of the larger goal, right? It's, you know, it's something to question. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So one objection, one major objection that comes up here when we, you know, so if we're saying 
utilitarianism is trying to maximize utility. Utility is maximizing the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. We're saying that happiness is coextensive with pleasure. Well, that just sounds like hedonism, right? So a famous objection to to utilitarianism is just, well, why is it not just, you know, sex and food and cars and all the rest of that stuff. So John Stuart Mill probably, you know. Why are you going to throw cars in there every time? That's a good question. Why do I throw cars in there? Uh, Flossen? <laughs> Offline. Offline will heal that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, like, a, like a hip-hop video. That's basically what I'm... I'm, I'm <laughs> okay, God. It's not like Chariot. You don't have Chariot Envy. <laughs> no, no. I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I, I drive a Prius, so <laughs> perhaps... <laughs> Um, hey, mine's just a prettier version of a Prius. No one wants to say it. Mine's just a faster version. But it is it is very pretty. Yes. Yeah. It is pretty. Right. Um, so John Stuart Mill is probably the most famous utilitarian, and he he's really the one who kind of took the the torch from Bentham um, and really tried to flesh out the view and, and answer objections. And one of the most one of his most famous contributions to the notion of utilitarianism was trying to distinguish between different types of pleasures Mm. to make it so that it's not utilitarianism is not just hedonism. So for example, Mill would say something to the effect of the acquisition of knowledge is fundamentally different in kind as a pleasure compared to scratching an itch. No amount of scratching an itch could equal the pleasure from gaining knowledge. And a famous Mill quote that illustrates this is you know, it's better to be Socrates dissatisfied than a pig satisfied. The idea there being that, um, you know, it's cool for a pig to just have, you know, basic pleasures and, you know, go to the bathroom and eat and things like that. But even if Socrates is dissatisfied, what Socrates is engaging in is a higher order thing than just base pleasures. Yeah. Um, I wrote, I wrote down the smirk of knowing. That's how I recognize it is like when people know there's a, there's a deep hidden pleasure of that little smirk you see in someone's, you know, face. Right. right. Um, yeah. I, I, of course that I'm just trying to be careful here of uh, individuals or just thinking about individuals that, that possibly don't see pleasure in that, you know? Um, um, I mean, it, it kind of just, to me, it, it makes sense that as humans, we would, want to get something, you know, that's, that could build us inside of us that we're like, Oh, there's enjoyment in learning and there's enjoyment in knowing, and there's enjoyment in, in, I guess the, the language that can be moved next to that would be awareness, right? If you're knowing you're becoming more aware of things and I'm not, I'm not pulling in consciousness or, you know, those other meanings, but uh, um, I could see that um, as being defined in there of uh, knowledge being, something that uh, could be a uh, really quote unquote positive, admirable pleasure. Yeah. And it need not, I mean, I think knowledge is a good one, but to address your point, you know, about what if someone doesn't like uh, knowledge, it need not be knowledge necessarily for Mill. I think the main idea is just that we can make some distinction between base and higher pleasure. So whether that's love or purpose or meaning that, you know, uh, with you know stuffing your face with fast food that's that's a pleasure but it's not quite the same as making like a home-cooked meal for your family the idea being that there's something more sustainable fulfilling less draining less addictive um than than uh 
than the other thing, I guess is the basic, the basic headline there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That, that explains a little bit more. Um, I'm just going to go back and say, I also want to, uh, you know, recognize the people and where they were in the time that they came up with these ideas too. Um, Cause culture is either upstream or downstream based upon how they're perceiving those virtuous concepts, right. For pleasure. So I think for today, uh, and I just, I go, I always go right to my home to kind of consider these things. Right. And uh, my home is a great, um, example for me to always keep learning around um, the, the dyadic things that happen between the masculine and the feminine um, and the continuum of that. And so I think of it, I think of it uh, the, on that broad continuum. That's why I say, you know, uh, knowing is whether you like it or not, especially for our language of what we talk in science and fitness is, is really connected to learning, which is connected to seeking, which is in, connected to, uh, you know, uh, process orientation, et cetera. And that's a very masculine um, lane for people to find pleasure in, right? But when it when it's when it's not in that lane, not to not to demarcate it, but to say it's not always like that. You know, there's there's a lot around unknowing and disconnection, and um, and pleasure in uh, something that's not like that. You know. And it's an ongoing thing that's very pleasurable to not know. You know, it, it's like the just process uh, or it's process disorientation. You know, it's like, it, anyways, I, I'm trying to describe it very loosely so we don't attach to one thing being better than the other. But just to say my eyes are open to not everyone finding uh, as deep a pleasure in knowing as what I do. Yeah, no, completely, completely agreed. And yeah, there's obviously a a dark side to knowing too, where sometimes you're just like, Oh my God, why did I do that? Why did I go down that rabbit hole? Like, yes, let's yes. go, let's go in another, another direction. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, I, that's I another totally good one. agree with that. Yeah. Um, you know, Socrates had that line, the unexamined life isn't worth living. And uh, Alistair McIntyre, one of my professors over at Notre Dame would famously say, neither is the examined one. <laughs> So it's, 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 yeah. it's, it's always that, that push and pull between those two, right? Yeah. And then uh, in psychology, there is a, forget who mentioned it. Uh, um, I have to come up with the name, but uh, a wandering mind is a uh, scary mind. Yeah. You know, like a uh, one that, uh, you know, so it, it all depends upon where the language is coming from, you know, and, yeah. and who Absolutely. mentioned that and how they're on. Yeah. So anyways, that, that was great. I love, um, I think we, uh, I think that just, uh, pulled out right there something we need to discuss down the road though I think is an excerpt of hedonism um, if, in regards to fitness uh, maybe um, I think we're, we're going to get there in aesthetics possibly yeah yeah and sensationalism and objectification and projection and things like that yeah no I, I think that would be an interesting one I mean and you know the the, the, the association with hedonism back in Mill and Bentham's time and still today, I would say, is is not a good one. So when you accuse something yeah. of being hedonism at base, like usually people will try and, you know, save it in some way. So I, I think the connection with fitness would be a interesting one. And to what extent do our desires ultimately in fitness uh, or some of our desires and the way they're manifested, at least today on Instagram and other things relate to or connect with hedonism? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, to back up for, uh, pleasure, people may have heard me discuss that. So I'm just saying what I've said numerous times based upon, uh, variations in intention. So the athlete's intention versus the human's intention. If we remember that 
Um, and I had pleasure inside of the athlete's intentions. And uh, it's not for today to discuss, but maybe we can pull that into that hedonistic conversation of the four Ps, right? Athletes go after pleasure, pain, points, and prizes. And that's completely different than the intentions based upon this journey and this process of, uh, of, um, of the uh, you know, physical expression with fitness for general health. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, as we'll discuss today, you know, it all comes down to like, what do we mean by pleasure? Yes. Right? It, 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 it can mean various different things. Yes. There's, there's one sense that's, you know, a, a base level. There's the discussion that Mill's making around like higher order versus lower order. Um, you know, when Aristotle talked about eudaimony and happiness, that wasn't just like, you know, plunking your butt in front of the TV and like having Netflix on infinite scroll with whatever food you wanted. Like, yeah was meaning morality you know what i mean so yeah that's 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 really you know when we talk about pleasure we got to ultimately unpack like what does that mean for sure yeah i think about uh dopamine and serotonin as well inside of that on a physiological level right yeah and i i think you know long before anyone knew about neurotransmitters and dopamine and serotonin and all the rest of that stuff i, I do think aristotle and others tapped into something that they could just see with their own eyes which is that that we know now more on a neurotransmitter level, like the dopamine push, like it'll, it'll push you and then it'll push you over a cliff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like things that are more the base pleasures, uh, like sex or money or food. Yeah. You get pleasure from it and you know, it's good in a certain amount, but like it will drive you off the edge of a cliff if you mm -hmm. let it. Whereas things that are the higher pleasures, whether it be, music or knowledge or meaning or love or you know what i mean they're more sustaining fulfilling longer lasting and they're not um you're not going to end up in a you know in a ditch over music you know what i mean I, maybe that's maybe that's not the right example but you, you get what i'm yeah. saying it's more fulfilling yeah yeah for sure there, there's less uh there's less opportunity to get into an addictive state yes exactly yeah um it's not that it doesn't happen because <laughs> yeah. some people go crazy trying to know things or get crazy with music and yeah pile on things that get them to what they believe is a levitation version of that. But I get your point. Yeah, that's, yeah. yep. The one might ask, why are we discussing utilitarianism and consequentialism with regard to impact? Again, because these are the moral and political theories that are more, most commonly associated with the notion of impact. Um, again, Peter Singer is a famous utilitarian. He's got books uh, about, you know, uh, global charities and donating to Oxfam. And uh, he's got a whole slew of stuff in that same mold on veganism and vegetarianism using utilitarian arguments. Um, but it really is related to this notion of what is the greatest good for the greatest number of people. So there are a number of uh, famous questions and objections to utilitarianism that I thought would help us, you know, uh, discuss some of these important questions within fitness. So one question that we've already hinted at that I thought you know, James, you and I could try and tackle is, are all pleasures equal in value when it comes to impact? So the fitness example would be, you know, let's use the CrossFit Open. If 10,000 people get that, you know, awesome or cool feeling after doing, you know, WAD 21.1, uh, that last 10 minutes, is that as worthwhile as one person gaining long-term fitness autonomy? Mm -hmm. Right. So that, that's really, and that, that's an objection in philosophy that people actually have to mill. They're saying, no, you're trying to have it both ways. You're trying to say scratching an itch isn't the same as like love or knowledge, but 
no, you can't, you can't do that. You can't say something is intrinsically good. Like if you're, if your theory is based around, like we're adding up the pleasures, like you got to bite the bullet and just deal with it. So it's an interesting question when we're talking about impact today, what do we mean? Is it just that transitory feeling after a workout or is it like, you know, does one person getting long-term fitness autonomy outweigh all of that? You, you couldn't even put the two on the same uh, scale. So I don't know if you had any thoughts. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Immediately. I think it goes back to something we discussed before is there has to be a time based upon the context what we're talking about. So, you know, for a number of people doing intense activity and then someone just doing something in the corner and they'll just use those two start, you know, option options, um, you know, for that particular time, there's strong argument for both, you know, for that particular time. So I think when you just added in the word of autonomy, autonomy speaks of this sequence of time. And so now that has to be added into it. So the, the current action that people are going to partake in, we, I guess we got to figure out how to language it so that it bleeds outside of this call and then coaches can talk about it so that they can start saying, when I say that this is a, uh, the, the right way, you know, and when I define impact as this, I'm using this time sequence because otherwise you'll get drowned out in saying, you know, well, how are you defining the good for all when you see all that happening, right? All these hordes of people moving towards orange theory and coming out and happy and wearing the Lululemon and like, Hey, love, hey. you know, it's like, geez, that's a lot of, there's something, a lot of positive in that. <laughs> yeah. But, but what are we measuring? the acute variable of the happiness and the pleasure right after, or are we measuring eight years down the road and their, you know, definition of fitness. And this is where I think the roads diverge. So I'm not sure if it, that, if that creates more confusion or is there a way of going about um, helping that language? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that, that brings us to an, another point, which is probably one of the most important ones within utilitarianism. And I think it's exactly the right place to go what's the time horizon of impact? And mm -hmm. this is a, a famous problem for utilitarianism and it will be a famous, it will be a important question for us to ask, you know, are we talking a year, a month, a decade, a century, a millennium? Like what's the time horizon? And, you know, if we want to get really honest about the time horizon of things, like in the ultimate end game, like, you know, the universe isn't around anymore. We'll see if humans, are, you know what I mean? Like we, we have to be considerate of that, of that fact that like, what are we talking like the end state of the universe? Are we talking a hundred years from now? Like, um, so th those, those considerations, um, do matter. And then it brings up another issue for utilitarianism is, you know, can in seemingly immoral action now come to be moral, later on as a result of the impact of what happens a hundred years hence. Oh yeah. That's the, you know, that's the classic one. You know, it's not, it's not connected to what I said earlier. People are like James, why, why are you hitting people moving? It's like, uh, they, they really do believe that the purveyors of the information they're telling the hordes people to do all this shit. They're like, listen, I get it, bro. But, uh, over time they'll become aware. And <laughs> right. So they're, they're just, they're just hoping that to your point, we know it's classically immoral right now. But hey, over time, they'll wake up, right? That, that's the argument that's used as well. And now we go back to like, well, what's your measurement to determine what your definition is of success for that? And this is where, this is where we, uh, we, we break, right? Because, you know, and then, and then it goes, anyways, gosh, I don't know why I get exhausted by thinking about that. But 
you just can't get someone straight on that. Like, well, what are you measuring and what's the definition of it and et cetera. That's why I said earlier, it goes back to intentions based upon it. But I wrote down for the, where I see it causing a fray or it may just be one particular incident is that as you know, Robbie, it's, it's so hard to connect to the future and it's so hard to connect people to a time consequence because it's far more, you know, exciting actually to get an acute response. And that acute response is far more exciting than the less intense response, right? That could be connected to something that's more worthwhile down the road. So this is what I'm saying is like, there's very few that are willing to talk um, because it's embarrassing of the, of the being down the road 12 years and saying, listen, I know you're just getting started and I'd highly suggest against this pathway. I'd highly suggest against it. And so the observer who's starting that is, is weighing this like acute aha moment of the post-workout intense workout with this old fucker with a knee problem saying, I'm just, I'm just letting you know, you know, what, you know, you need to define living. <laughs> it's like, how do you, so that's a really that's a really tough, tough thing to battle is that, is the time pulled into that, you know, um, pull into it because that acute feeling is very powerful. It's very powerful. Yeah. And a lot of ways we're biologically wired to, you know, go for what is immediately right in front of our face, as opposed to what is going to be more longer term. I mean, it, it's taken generations and generations and generations for us to have like, uh, you know, rule of law and worry about the consequences of carbon dioxide for the globe. You know what I mean? Like all these different things that, you know, when you're, a hunter gatherer, presumably these are not, you know, I mean, of course at, at that point, uh, industry and society aren't, you know, issues either, but you, you see what I'm saying? Biologically speaking, like our, our hard wiring is to go for, you know, the quicker, easier, right in front of us, uh, thing rather than the longer term thing. And it's only through like generations and generations of reflecting on like, Oh, it turns out if we invest money now, or if we, withhold pleasure uh now we can receive greater pleasure later down the line yeah yeah that makes me think about the almost impossible opportunity is for people to brain stretch and get them disconnected to to read up on a lifetime to read up on a life just think about that like for every 10 11 12 up to 25 year old today to to just step back and disconnect and actually get the opportunity to read about things like that you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's almost impossible, I'm not sounding nihilistic on it, but it's almost impossible. Um, whereas, you know, with, uh, you know, 600 years ago, you may have just looked around your tribe or your tent or your home and be like, this is a nuclear family. There's the elders. This is what a life <laughs> looks like. You know, you just, it's like observation based upon that. Right. Um, and there may not be an op opportunity right now for, for individuals to get anything other to your point that I would agree that, Humans want to, um, you know, I guess way I've heard a number of people talk about, we want to make things easier. Like it's in our, it's in our shit to make things easier. But what leans into that is where we, where we get the issue, Robbie, maybe you can help me on that is that to your point, you said earlier of uh, the, uh, the hedonism that can push you over the edge. 
But then there's these other things like you used music and art and et cetera that won't push you over the edge. Uh, fitness is bumped right inside of those. So people are like, oh, but this is such a healthy, virtuous thing to partake in, right? Again, it's like, who are you to say I should be considering 12 years down the road is if this is, if this is if futile, right? You know, who are you to say that? Like, come on, this is music. That's basically what they're saying. This is art. You know, this is not hedonism. And so this is where the, it, it looks like a, it looks like a gray area, but um, it's, it's black and white in my opinion, you know, it's black and white. Um, and again, that's why I'm kind of stuck. It goes back to the competency and the cognitive ability on behalf of the observer, as well as their intentions. Cause they got to be able to, they got to be able to have the competencies to like, you know, have someone who's 12 years down the road say, just think about this. And this is how you measure the ongoing process to ensure you're going in the right direction, you know? Um, yeah, so. I don't know if there's anything in that or nothing. That's okay. No, I, I think there is. I mean, you know, I, I made it seem earlier as if there were these two buckets and maybe there are three or maybe there are multiple buckets where, you know, saying, okay, well, there's base pleasures over here that can lead you off the edge of a cliff and then there's higher pleasures, but, you know, it's certainly possible that there are these things in between that can kind of straddle the fence and maybe fitness is one of those where it does have some higher order aspects to it, but it also has some aspects of the base pleasures where, you know, people can drive themselves over uh, a cliff with it in terms of the dopamine response that they get from a workout or Instagram likes that they get from, you know, posting a muscle up or their six pack or what, whatever it is. Um, so I, I see what you're saying there about how it can kind of people today, at least are like, Oh no, just as long as you get moving, like we're all fat. Like, as long as you are doing something, like, just go do it, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I see that and I understand the reasoning behind it. Uh, but, you know, to your point that you've made a number of times, the uh, that, that can lead down a not good path. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's more than just getting to the gym. It's about consistency. Something that I've used, you know, numerous times on this call is that uh, metaphorical hypothesis of discussing with a client to get them. So to make my point, if competency is the issue, then you got to have dialogue and conversation, right? Um, and if you, if you don't have the system set up for dialogue and conversation, <laughs> then fucking good luck. Right. But you gotta have a conversation dialogue. And then what are, what are the, what's one thing you can use as a, as an idea, right. Uh, as an analogy is to, is to go through what I get coaches to go through with clients is the, uh, is the, uh, what's under the language that's possibly injected on what they're saying they want to do in fitness. So they start saying, Oh, I want to be healthy and live long and prosper. Okay, well, let's clarify what you mean by that, <laughs> you know, and then it's like, oh, so, you know, you want to, you want to exercise forever, right? It's like, yeah, I want to play with my grandkids and hike when I'm older. And, you know, I just want to look like that guy in the T-Mag commercial with the, <laughs> it's like, okay, so what do you think takes to get there, right? What do you think takes to get there? This and these things. And, and then what they get to and what they say themselves is consistency, they, they say it in their own language. I need to be doing this four times a week. I need to be here at this time. And this needs to go on for every year hereafter, regardless of what the medium looks like here across the South Bend online, wherever it's like, it's got to go on, you know, and then, and then the client goes, 
God damn it. That's a lot of, that's a lot of hits. That's a lot of iterations. So what I just did there was offer the client to come up with a way of determining what the consequences will be in the path that they're choosing for what they just said they're coming in here with, right? They, I want to live long and prosper. You need to clarify that because I really don't, I really think that's injected. You don't know what that means. And, um, and let's get to the, so that's just one way. That's just one way. Um, and I would rather choose that as opposed to the other side, which is not the only other side, but the other side of like, let's just get going. And this is a journey. So we'll figure out as we go along, we just keep pushing towards improvements because that's a really easy way to bump up against pleasure and acute, you know, um, you know, cortisol, uh, cortisol, uh, chasing. Yeah. And, and to your point that we've mentioned on other episodes, like the science of fitness podcast and, and others, you know, when we're talking about this time horizon of, of impact, um, you know, if we, if we make the time horizon for the client, like their life, uh, that's going to lead to a very different notion of impact than just, you know, immediately post-workout, do we take their blood biomarkers? You know, like you've talked about with high intensity interval training, it's like, yes, if you look at the impact, like right then and there, you know, shortly thereafter that week or what, what have you, and we're defining that as like impact. Okay. Well, oh, this biomarker improved and that biomarker improved. Well, that's one notion of impact, but if we're talking on the time horizon of an entire human life, that's going to lead to a very different notion of, of impact. Yeah. And then it pulls in the conversation for others who wish to go there. You can spend some time on it yourself around potential, um, around, uh, you know, uh, giving up all your resources when you have them available, um, around, you know, defining what would be considered the, what I call maximum physical potential for a lifetime, you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, really great pleasure for seven years, <laughs> you know, and then, and then hanging on for dear life for the rest of the 40 years, you know, like you, you want to, you want to go there in your brain and think about that, you know, um, and, and lay those principles on top of it for what I call, you know, growing and peaking and resisting entropy. And, you know, what is a lifetime of, of exercise and that participation? And then you can start to draw, you know, some ideas on a theory, let's say on, um, on, um, the utility inside of your exercise practice. And, and the consequences of you being consistent versus the consequences of you rushing for that, uh, that dopamine hit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, easier said than done. Um, right. I'm not sure if you, you know, wanted to take a second to think about that one is, uh, how, how important is it, uh, for the, uh, you know, the client that we're trying to communicate this to in their education and their competency. Cause remember they come in with, multiple stories around, you know, not understanding the long game in our language of the consequences around their current fitness. So are we just back to square one on remedying that through uh, conversations on intentions? I mean, I think that's a very powerful way to do it. Um, I mean, this does get to a question that I was wondering about in, in typing this, this all up that, you know, I'm sure you've thought about. It's like, there are different notions of impact in relation to what we're talking about. What is the impact we want fitness to have on the client? What's the impact the coach is to have on the client? What's the impact fitness has on the collective? Mm -hmm. Things like that. But specifically with regard to the, the question of, you know, 
um, what impact can and should we have as coaches upon the client? Um, yeah, I think it really, it, it has to have, it has to come down to conversations. I mean, it's going to be a very similar thing to going to a financial advisor. Do you know what I mean? I mean, not, not exact, not exactly, of course. And there are other virtues inside of fitness that extend far beyond anything that could be discussed in finances, but the same type way where you're having these discussions about, Hey, you're spending, you know, 500 bucks a month on eating out. And like, you know, if you want to sustain your finances, like for the rest of your life, that's not going to go too well. Yeah. Well, uh, metaphorically speaking, that's, that's what's happening with the fitness side. Although interestingly, just as I mentioned that, like you can't quite point to that in the same way you can in the financial advisor case, right? Yeah. Like they, they can't see it until it happens and it's too late. Yeah. You, you can't point to the $500 a month unless it's like, you know, their knee is injured or, you know, they can't sleep at night or something like that, but usually it's, it's too late by the time they've recognized it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's where, um, that's where probably within finance, but probably not so much. Well, I don't know. I'm just using another industry, but within fitness, um, it's, uh, I just see it as a daunting task, you know, um, to, to get people to recognize the consequences of, um, the short fat, the short fast model, right? Because the, there's just so much power in it that I just can't, you know, like especially to your point of saying, you know, we do need to clarify, are we talking about, you know, coaches having impact on the client? And I'd say, yes, that's where I'd like to, you know, how do coaches have impact on a client? What do we, what do we mean by that impact? Um, you know, how, how much Robbie does that coach have to come in with like, you know, an oath, you know, or, or, operating procedures or mantras, you know, that, that are tried and true. You know, I, I think you and I would both agree. It's like, oh yeah, it's great to have, but, but where's the proof like there is in finance or like there is on for coaches to fall back on and be like, listen, we've tried this thing. Cause I talk about it. Right. But listen, not everyone has had 25 years of exercise experience plus coaching for a period of time where they could say, you know, I can see the forest floor beneath the trees. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just mentioning how much of a daunting task that is to create uh, explanations. But I guess that should be the inspiration is to get coaches to, you know, get uh, excited about the fact of trying to get to that explanation of the of uh, the utility inside of their exercise intentions. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's, it's doubly daunting. It's daunting on the side of the coach to explain these things. And then it's daunting on this in the sense of, you know, like we were discussing earlier, naturally clients have a propensity to naturally people have a propensity to want to take the shortest route to take the easiest route to um you know to want to get done things done quicker so it's 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 hard to navigate around that it's it's possible in in certain instances but it's it's difficult yeah yeah hmm well, I also have to just taking out a reminder there for me to come up with uh, a number of different stories, a number of different metaphorical hypotheses that'll raise people, not just the consistency story, right? Maybe, maybe pull out another virtue and try to wrap some kind of storyline of understanding around that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing I've, I've thought of that I thought could be a whole episode in and of itself that I have always thought was kind of an interesting thing is, you know, people 
especially in our health and fitness realm, I always talk about how we live today is fundamentally unnatural, right? I mean, so, so many things, not living in small groups and, you know, having blue light exposure at night and, you know, eating the way we do and not exercising. But unless we're positing some supernatural force that brought this all about, which I'm certainly not, and uh, I don't imagine you are as well, like, this is all the end result of natural processes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like human biology led us to this point mm -hmm. to make things uh, as easy as possible. Like this is what a hunter gatherer would do eventually. Like if they had the means, yeah. they would make things easier. They would yeah. not walk as much. They would, you know, eat things that are delicious. Yeah. So it's, it's this really tough tension between like, this is the end result of what naturally we want. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, but also realizing that that's ultimately like long-term destroying us. Yeah. And um, like, how do, how do we, how do we battle those, those natural instincts? Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, well, we need the zombie. <laughs> we need the to zombie have apocalypse. the zombie apocalypse. Give us the signal zombie. <laughs> we gotta get something like something right now on this call. Well, that's a plane. Um, you know, we need something because, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really challenging to propose a mediocre medium concept of uh, this slow, you know, um, physical expression um, or this slow drip physical expression, right? And then try to, try to wrap all these other things around it. I think something that I've been, you know, um, thinking about more so also is that, um, you know, having this moderate approach to exercise that has utility can also possibly allow us to get on with really important, really more important things in our life. You know, I think that, uh, you know, some of the, some of the stuff that goes inside of the race for adaptation and speed of adaptation and fast tracking is to actually numb things. So it pulls you away from this wide eyed option to see other things, to learn about politics, to read books about evolution versus creation, right. To, to learn concepts of purpose and meaning, you know, um, to learn about concepts of hope and faith. The, the, you know, there's, so I, I've been thinking more along those lines, Robbie is like, well, it may be very hard to challenge that idea for individuals, but you may want to have your exercise program have really high utility as a base support so you can do it forever, but such that it leads you to the opportunity to do all these other things, you know, um, to, to your, to back to your point of like, it is unnatural to, par to participate willfully <laughs> in physical expression, right? It's, it's very unnatural. We don't need to do it, right? But what can we get from it if we do participate in a version of it, you know? Um, and this is where the good, the good hard question is. Um, and that's why I use words like folly and, and diversion tact and diversion, because it actually is that, but I, I want to be okay with that. <laughs> I want to be okay with it such that we could, you know, get on with really, you know, cool things, you know? Um, and we understand why people choose athleticism. You know, we understand why people will want to get on stage naked, you know, as 43 years of age with three kids, right? I get it. That makes sense. It's something that's admirable around pushing the physicality and the physical expression, um, albeit in a short period of time, 
because why else? <laughs> like, what, what else are you doing? You're probably doing something else that's more hedonistic. You know, Doritos and football on Sundays, example. Um, and there's a balance for that, obviously. But um, yeah, so I think it, uh, it's just a repeat of a good hard question. Yeah. Yeah. And through all that, I don't think I'm, I'm getting closer to a really good answer on how you do, uh, you know, generally create that definition of impact. And that's okay. I think that's okay. Well, I mean, I think maybe one way to narrow it down and see if we can get a little bit I mean, like you were saying, we don't necessarily need to get get an an, a concrete answer to um, what's the best way to bring about an impact today, but just talk about like what kind of impact we want to bring about or what, what would be impact um, is, you know, questions about, you know, who or what does the impacting, who or what is impacted. Um, so if we're talking about who's impacted, I guess, you know, one question we could ask to help us narrow things down is, are we talking about the impact of fitness on society at large? Are we talking about the impact of fitness on the client? Are we talking about the fit impact of fitness on the coach, the fitness collective? Like what, when, when well, you let's think start about- with, Let's start with society. Let's go through all of them briefly. Okay. Yeah. 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 So if we're talking about uh, the impact of fitness on society, the first thing I go to is, uh, you know, um, being aware of the, cur the current time in uh, how people know and learn and observe and find out information on the particular topic. And um, when it comes to information, you know, the real social idea, um, you know, I'll lay it out briefly and we can get to figuring out how do you create impact based upon what the current consensus is. Uh, fitness in large general generalization um, is used as a fix. Um, and that's a fix for a, you know, uh, a lifestyle that's not conducive to what we're describing as real high potential, right? So that's, that's the current consensus. There's a very, very small percentage marginal group um, that truly does believe there's these deeper positive things inside of fitness intention and the freedom of it and your opportunity to express yourself and that leading to all these great things. So um, so I think of, you know, the first, first stage and approach, if we're talking about impact and fitness on society is a much, uh, better, stronger, uh, open-ended conversation on uh, the purpose of fitness, the purpose of physical expression. Um, and I think we're doing it, you know, I think we've been doing it for 10 years and, uh, um, we don't know if we're making any gains on that. I don't want to pull that form of impact into this, but um, that's, that's the first thing I think about fitness. If we're looking at fitness and its impact on society. Um, I think we're doing a really shitty job, really shitty job um, saying that fitness, fitness holds the fitness, fitness, <laughs> fitness holds the responsibility of that. Right. And I think you know, fitness has done a really horrible job in terms of its impact because of how it's, how it's now viewed to the majority of the users, right? It's like, oh, you know, uh, you will serve me 
um, to, to fix my shit. And I know you're always there whenever you want to serve me. And that's how it's, that's the relationship between fitness and, and society. So, um, that's where I'd start there. It's not, it's, uh, it's making, uh, it's making no impact whatsoever, um, in how I'm defining impact for, uh, you know, moving a whole ton of people towards better physical expression, a knowledge of it, et cetera. Yeah, no, I think that's super helpful in narrowing it down and making it so that it seems not quite as daunting an issue. And as I'm understanding you to have a true impact uh, when it comes to fitness in relation to society at large, we would need to change really people's beliefs and outlook on fitness from being one of, it's purely a means to an end. It's yeah. purely a, a fix for something broken to something resembling an end in itself where people have autonomy around it and it's, you know, for them and it's yes. something yes. you do for a lifetime and things like that. Yeah. And depending upon where you are in the world, you may see this differently, but let's just use like a couple of things like um, uh, level of resilience, right? Uh, on the, let's call it the terrain, you know, the internal terrain level of resilience and just human resilience, like the personality trait or characteristic, along with um, the ability to just get up from anywhere and run a mile and uh, the size of humans. Over the past 20 years, we could just look at that and say, those are, those are a real stark punch in the face that things aren't getting better. So what's, this, what's the impact of fitness? And what has it been? What it have, has, how has that been? You know, in your, your, mine eyes, you finish NSCA course or, you know, NASM CPT or whatever. You're like, you know, this is such an admirable job and we really are changing the world, right? You're not doing much actually, you know, just because there's Instagram and you're now getting into your own little bubbles and talking amongst one another, you seemingly think there's impact. You're not making any impact whatsoever. If you were to look at those variables, right? Obesity, level of resilience, just two of those over 20 years, man, it's not better. It's not better. Um, and I think maybe just so, you know, if anyone wants to do some more reading on that, um, it's uh, Steven Pinker's uh, research on over a really long period of time as to what is better, right? That, that you can bump up against that, but then let's take a shorter time frame, you know, of 1990s into now, it's not better. So therefore, we're not making an impact. If we wanted to use a predictive outcome of that, right? You know, that's why I said, well, how are things looking now? That's how, that's how I would look at it, right? So are we making an impact? Well, what are things like now? They're not that good. How, how are they now compared to what they used to have been? They're worse. That's not impact. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So just because we have a podcast or we're saying it doesn't mean that's impactful. So I'll stop there, but that's, that's my... Uh, not impactful fitness is not impactful on society at the moment yeah i mean i know i see what you're saying i mean yeah i know the thesis of stephen pinker's uh work there and our better angels i think it was called yeah better angels of our nature i've, I've read a lot of his other uh stuff in psychology but i, I mean I've, I've read books i've read articles about that book but i haven't read it specifically so i don't know if he's he references fitness or nutrition but you can just imagine like 
No, he uses poverty and uh, opportunity for uh, food, accessibility to food as a, like, as in the health area. So. Right. So like, again, this is where these like variables of impact matter, because if we talk about like human physical capacity yeah. and nutrition, like it's not a steady line of progress. It's a steady line of like, yeah, you know, going into the gutter essentially yeah. and accelerating very rapidly um, yeah. over the past hundred years. Now our ability to not die and not have symptoms mm-hmm. has improved dramatically over the past hundred years, like to extend out like someone, you know, surviving, but yeah. that, 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 that's a totally different thing. That is because that's just the answer to that is medicine, but we still, yeah. we're, we got to tie in maximum potential and quality of life. Right. right? Exactly. So we've only had 150 years really of our, of our experience. And just think about this, right? So people, people are like, whether, whatever your beliefs are, you know, I listened to an evolutionary anthropologist discuss this the other day. He's like, this is how you can discuss really, you know, how, how small the timeline we are to adaptation right now. Okay. An evolutional concept. So if you were to stretch out evolution of human existence, right. And you were to stretch that from San Francisco over to New York, right. You would get three steps in off the beach from San Francisco to discuss the last 150 years of our human adaptation. Three steps. (laughs) That just like, just, whoa, the horses, right. It's like just a second now. So it takes a lot of those iterations of repeat and et cetera to actually make any, you know, quote unquote impact on that when you're really talking about all these biological, deeply embedded, you know, possibly transformative, but very small transformative things. Um, My point being is that we've only had 150 years experience due to medicine and sanitation and et cetera of living past 50 years of age, like on a a large scale. You know, so let's not forget that we're not masters of that. We're like three steps in off the beach to, to play that whole game out as to what is it like to live to, you know, 90 years of age, um, you know, with all these biological impedance that we have, which is, you know, pecker not coming up when you're 65 in the morning and, um, and, uh, you know, hormone levels going out of whack. So it's like, it's, uh, anyways, um, that's the, uh, that's the tie into, um, your point on, uh, discussing what's going to be uh, positively impactful. We have to create context around, you know, the timelines of impact. And So a question I have for you based on what we were just discussing. So we, we were discussing two separate but related things. We were saying one notion of impact that we would eventually want to go for is changing the intentions around fitness for people and then not just seeing it as a fix, but seeing it as a an end in itself as a way to cultivate autonomy and all the other things we've discussed. Do you think that, uh, and this, this question that I'm about to pose has a relevance for how we would actually bring about this impact. Do you think that were we through conversation and consultation to change those beliefs around fitness, we would then bring about as a result, things like, you know, people just being able to run a mile from anywhere and having better body composition. So those, those things are really, those effects are really derivative of that belief system and way of viewing fitness. Yeah. I think that, uh, I wrote down as an approach, it would be, um, it's got to come at it from multiple angles to get, to get there. So there's gotta be, and I don't think we're doing a great job at either. It's, and it's not that I don't try every day, you know, meaning I'm not trying to inject these critical thinking, uh, I, uh, critical thinking, um, systems or, you know, 
helping coaches be more critical thinkers, I'm doing that day to day with, with the resources I have and the opportunities I have in front of me. Um, and I do think, yes, that is impactful in that context of like them becoming more aware and then hoping that with their increased awareness, that will move out into the periphery, right? But we're, I'm only talking 4,000 people over 10 years, right? <laughs> it's a very, again, it's similar to the, to the evolutionary concept. That's a very small, small thing. And we're making the assumption that all 4,000 of them are woke to the concept of, of uh, you know, autonomy, et cetera. So it has, to, and, and that's called what that action is, you know, CCP and my day-to-day -day offerings is a bottom-up approach. It's like an organic here's the questions we have to ask, you know, this is the belief system. This is the dialogue you need to get to. Like we say, it takes time. It doesn't happen in the first 90 minutes. You warm them up to it. We lay out the storyline, et cetera. So, but that's happening very small part, right? Very small part. But there has to be, if we're to look at it from a strategic point, there has to be a bottom down approach too. And that's so daunting. I.e., that's what I talk about, like, we talked about um, which which call was it? Uh, oh, the freedom calls and liberty, right? Is like, <laughs> to, <laughs> why do I giggle every time? I don't know why. I think it's because I think it seems so authoritarian and powerful. Fitness North Korea. <laughs> That's why. That's it, James. <laughs> um, you know, get up every day and work towards two times body weight deadlift, doing pull ups and running for two hours straight, right? Like, that's just what you do. And it's laid out in multiple different ways, but it starts in grade one. You know, it's like a, that's top down. Like this, this is what you do, right? Cause these are standards. Oh, but why do we do that? You don't get to ask why, you know, you don't get to ask why we just know in our belief, this is effective for our definition of, you know, max physical potential expression for a lifetime, et cetera. Cause we know you're capable of blah, blah. So, um, and that's very generalized, but that's just an idea, right? That's just voice and that's sound waves and text and you and me, that's it. That's as far as it's going. Um, and maybe some other people who listen in are like, oh, that's kind of back to something else. So I think it has to be a strategic bottom, bottom down or top down, bottom up approach. And I'm, yeah. I do my day-to-day -day bottom up. And I think it's making an impact on those particular coaches. I would say that. Is yeah, I mean, it all, it all it all depends on the time horizon. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying these two are equivalent in any way, shape, or form. But I mean, Christianity started out as a you know bottom up approach in the middle of nowhere. That you know what I mean? Like it. Yes. We just have to think of the time horizon. Yes. Um, but what you just brought up that you're right. We were discussing the the Liberty Call. Um, you know, kind of this authoritarian top down forcing people to exercise for an hour a day that does get back to this notion of utilitarianism where for utilitarianism, um, the ends do justify the means like quite, quite literally, like, um, you know, now it all depends. Like, are we beating people if they're not working out? Like what, what are the means of, uh, you yeah, know, no, it's an eloquent progression. <laughs> it's slap across the face. No, it's personalized. Some get a slap across the face. Some of them are handheld. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if you wanted to make an argument for the notion of 
everyone being required through their government to work out for an hour a day. Utilitarianism would be the way to do it because that that is going to lead to better metrics of health, presumably better mental health, thing, things like that. So that would be really a, an avenue there. Yeah. Why not two hours a day? Why not two hours a day? <laughs> I was just using the example you initially had, but yeah, we could say two hours a day. Why not? I mean, people starting out learning how to do movements, right? Full body resistance. So it may take two hours. Oh, you can't do two hours? Oh, we'll just take 10 minutes. What do you do next time? You're going to look to do 15 minutes. You know where I'm going you, with that one. Yeah. Oh, you can do two hours. If the government's making you, you can you can, you can can find two hours. If it's yeah. jail or two hours. Yeah, we'll find it. But uh, we got to have time and got to have people reflect on physical expression as being something that's... Uh, that's uh, bigger than them and, and uh, beyond them. And it's, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not their preconceived great grandmother, grandmother, mother's perceptions, you know, of what fitness right. is. The reason I asked that question earlier about like the belief, if we are able to change the conversation and, you know, help people come to that realization that fitness can be an end in itself and that potentially leading to, getting closer to these objective fitness standards that you've mentioned, like, you know, deadlifting twice your body weight and running for two hours. If that's, if the one leads to the other and we're ultimately trying to generate that type of um, belief in people as our form of impact, then that, that leads us to the methodology by with, by which we would bring about that impact, which is conversations, deeper philosophical thinking. Yes. Uh, it would seem that if one were to argue that, well, if we get people, you know, let's say someone tried to do it in reverse. Let's say someone said, well, no, if you, if you get people to achieve these objective physical standards, like, you know, healthy body weight and two times deadlift and running two hours, that will in turn lead to the proper belief. We got a lot of counterexamples against that one. Um, so, you know, and we, we know for a fact that there are plenty of people who have achieved such a thing, but don't have proper tensions around, um, fitness. So if we're saying the way we can ultimately make an impact or the impact we want to make is to change those intentions and then to, that will ultimately change the objective metrics fitness wise and body comp wise, then the means by which we would accomplish that is going to be conversations, deeper philosophical thinking and things like that. Yeah. And the reason why you create standards is so that you're not just loosely saying, oh, it's just consistency. It turns into turns into subjective subjectivity in terms of your progression, right? It's like, are we moving forward? Yes. Cause we're consistent. You know, there's, no, there's nothing, there's nothing there. So that's why I say, you know, the, the idea of standards and personal standards and then absolute absolutism comes in there just to shake people's tree, you know, because, uh, because to your point, people will think about that, right? They think about the exact standards and then go, I know a lot of people who are unhealthy in that situation, or I know a lot of people who can do more than that. Or, you know, there's a number of people who will never achieve that in a lifetime. It's got nothing to do with all three of those, right? You're forgetting that I've thought about this long and hard. I just, you know, so it's like, I thought that those would be a, an opportunity for reverse engineering because as you practice of going towards those standards, people will, you know, uh, just indirectly figure out, holy shit, this is a long game. Holy shit, I'm capable of doing this holy shit, this will take practice. Holy shit, I can't fast track this. You know what I'm saying? So to your point, which I interestingly, you injected in there, uh, healthy body weight, two times body weight and two hours running. I didn't, I don't include healthy body weight because that's why I said the body weight, uh, two times body weight deadlift and running 
I'm presuming that if you partake in that and you have consistency, there's no, there's, <laughs> there's no room for having incorrect body weight. You it's can't implicitly contained in there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just, just to pick on that or just to hit that one as to why I just use those physical expression standards and not a physical uh, pre presentation standard. Note to self, find 300 pound person who can run for two hours straight, but can also deadlift 600 pounds. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> but it's the exception that proves the rule. Yes. Um, yes. And then, I, I mean, I think the second point there that we've discussed before in relation to liberty and this authoritarian stuff as well, like you might be tempted to say, well, we want to bring about this belief that fitness is an end in itself and that it leads to autonomy and we should be pursuing these things. Um, and if we can do that from a top down method that will lead to greater impact quicker, it might, it might. My, I guess my main worry is that throughout history, beliefs that are inculcated don't always fare too well. So I, I feel like yeah. the approach you're currently taking, yeah, it's gonna be slower and yeah, it's gonna ask people to critically think, but that's ultimately the right way. Like wake the people up who want to be woken up and are willing to have this conversation. And um, I don't know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I could be wrong, but I, I, I don't know about the ability for us to um, put this into people's heads from top down in a way that will stick long-term. I think the way it sticks long-term is if you wake them up to it through conversation, like, you're currently doing if that makes yeah, sense yeah for sure and again i'm gonna say it again that's why we need these zombie apocalypse and it, there's we had a number of behaviors go on over the past number of years where we're like you think people would get it now but we don't you know uh, even past covid right and we're not trying to virtue signal concepts of health based upon that but uh but we are you know it's like you know yeah. just, just think really hard about that and take whatever confirmation bias out of it and think really hard about it um then you can you can see that we're just not going to learn and we're not going to learn and we're in a society where there's no opportunity for that so that's why i still you know say uh that i probably have a stronger belief in the you know punch in the face method of just saying you know uh, don't ask questions but if you partake in this regardless of your intentions down the road with the progression i talked about it'll get to the point of this aha moment of this connection to this leading to autonomy uh, based upon these standards that we set for that um and there i have you know i just have uh I guess I just have, you know, where, where comes up the possible, the possible, I guess, I guess it ties in Robbie again, back to, like you said, you know, we'll just, you know, do it organically and then it'll, it'll spread. Um, I think, and I don't know how to use the words for it, but I have, I'm probably more pessimistic in that direction for the definition of impact because of what I know happens. Um, in this minority majority existence of things. Like we're a very small piece of the pie and, and there's a lot more resistance and there's a lot more tension. There's more stories and more information on the other side that just, it minimalizes it down, you know, over time in numbers, like in math based upon that. So that's where I'm more pessimistic in that. Um, also we have to, I think, you know, think about what you called um, or what we discussed in the same conversation under Freedoms of Liberty is the burden that's placed upon the minority for the majority not willing or wanting to see that story. 
you know, so I, I think that's where it gets like, cause your, your words, you said, I'll, I hope I'm not misplacing them, but you said, we'll just, for, for those who want to, for those who want to learn about it, we'll get those benefits of that. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? So this, this is where it's like, well, over time, it's going to be a lot more people who don't want to, they don't want to take that. And so therefore, are we saying, is it a, is it a competency issue? Is it a, uh, accessibility to that knowledge issue and i've i've talked about this before we all all the story's been done all there's youtube <laughs> like it's it's out there it's out there and accessible to anyone you know um as terms to what the righteous path is for that but i don't see it going that direction so that you know, i'm just i'm just creating my hesitations on the the um the rah-rah behind the organic movement and truly knowing what impact means inside of that right so as I said, I'll relay it back. I I've have had impact on those 4,000 coaches, but I'm stopping there. You know, I'm stopping there saying, and that has significant impact on moving us towards a majority for the future. I, I'll stop at that. I, I, I disagree with that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, yeah, I, I don't disagree that um, the organic uh, way of doing things yeah, could very well be and, and most likely will be um, slower and, and may not reach its eventual, um, you know, whatever the threshold we want to reach is a million people or a billion people viewing uh, fitness in this particular way. Um, I guess what I would say there, I mean, it, it, it's, it's hard to tell antecedently how far this will or will not spread. And, you know, it's such a short time horizon. I do think, though, you get a lot more true believers and got to kind of wince saying that uh, with, with this, with this approach um, you get, you get people who actually are bought in. Um, I, the, the history of people being like beaten with a belief or being, you know, told from birth, like, here's what you need to believe and here's what you need to do. Uh, doesn't end very well yeah. in religious spheres and political spheres, like people, even just as a, maybe they don't even disagree with the view, but just as a fuck you to the fact that they were raised that way or like, nope, I'm going to yeah. disagree. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like uh, even though it will absolutely, I, I agree with you, probably be far slower as a result, I do think. Um, but the organic approach, you get people who actually like, oh, I recognize that and I understand it as opposed to the top-down approach, which is like, I don't understand it at all. And it's like, told to me that I need to believe this and you know yeah some people will continue to believe that and, and some won't so yeah yeah um yeah we've been yeah I guess we could maybe uh, fix it a tiny bit by using analogies of you know people have been told to believe in science and you can try to fight that one you know um, um or things that are more objective you know um so I think that's where maybe fitness can come in, but we don't, again, we don't have all that, you know, evidence to prove that, right. A long life. And this is what it looks like. And this is what physical expression looks like, you know, and et cetera. So. I and I mean, but, and that also gets back to like, you know, again, what we're trying to get at here today, like with the notion of impact is, you know, to what we were just discussing, is it just the sheer numbers? Is it the sheer numbers of people believing that fitness is an end in itself? Is, is that what we're going for? Or is impact 
you know, creating an army of people that can then share this view with the world and, you know, who've come to this realization themselves, you know what I mean? That, that, that quality versus quantity debate, like, is it just 6 billion people all thinking the same exact thing about fitness or is it, you know, the importance of having those conversations in the first place and coaches who can then relate to clients? Yeah. Um, that, that is, um, is it just the presence of the belief in 6 billion minds or is it, um, all the conversations and, you know, um, things that go into creating coaches that way. So, yeah, no, it's a good question. We're asking to, uh, or I, I think I'm, way I'm taking that is I got to clearly define what I mean by success and for whom, when I want to have that discussion. Right. Yeah. So I think something you we were talking about before the call that you said you wanted to discuss was uh, obviously last episode, we talked about value. This episode, we're talking about impact, um, you know, the relationship between those two. So two questions I, I put in the outline were, can something be of value without having an impact? And can something have an impact without being uh, of value? And I, I mean, at least on the face of it, I would answer both of those questions with a yes. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure where your thoughts would be there, but. Yeah, you can ask the second one again in a second, but the first thing I thought about um, was, uh, yeah, because it's it's the organic, you know, me coaching coaches idea. So you know, I think I think there is value inside of uh, that direct impact. There is some value, you know, and it does even how we can use the ter- term interchangeably. It does create value for those coaches, and they become more valuable, you know. So the information is valuable and they become more valuable. So I think there is an aspect of value inside of that on the, on the, the process of trying to, you know, look at, is it impactful? So in that case, and then the second one was what second question. Can something have an impact without being of value? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Cross it open. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> has an impact is it a value hmm, i don't know i'm just kidding yeah yeah i've got to find a different pinata yeah it can uh, and there's you know there's numerous maybe you can take a shot at a, a numerous or maybe a different example outside of that yeah i mean it, it, again it all just with everything we've been discussing it all comes back to like what do we mean by these terms because people do use the terms value and impact sometimes yeah. interchangeably yeah um i think impact usually goes back to this notion of in the world empirical you can see it results data whether it's money raised or life saved or what have you whereas value is at least in the philosophical context is usually linked more to intrinsic things that uh, have intrinsic value so Mm -hmm. autonomy integrity Mm -hmm. dignity virtue that whether they have an impact or not are still of value. Like Kant famously says, whether a goodwill can bring about its ends or not, it is still by far the most valuable thing in the world. Yes. So that's, that's really where we get this uh, debate that we've talked about before of what, what, what is ultimately worth um, pursuing? Is it that objective empirical, you know, things out there in the world have changed or is it, you know, instilling these intrinsic virtues and values um, and ideas that, um, you know, transcend maybe the notion of, of impact. So Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's in just in that uh, question, 
Um, it's the latter. I think it's the, you know, going after the, the, the competency on behalf of the client and their intentions and, and uh, getting them to the point where they just start having that inner dialogue around why am I doing this and, and what is the utility in this, you know? And I think the questioning of that and the conversation of it and the, the rummaging of it, the, the process and the experience, I think that will lead to larger impact. Um, if you to bring back to your point of 6 billion brains, right? Over time, um, affecting those people, I think, yeah, it begins there. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I think that's the better route for kind of what we've been discussing in the OPEX model to go in terms of like, it, it's not, it, it, it's going to be this notion of like, having these conversations, instilling these intentions, uh, talking about these virtues, cultivating things like autonomy. Um, that's to, to use Mill's notion of different orders of things. Mm -hmm. That is so much more, that's so much higher order than, you know, Hey, we just got someone in the gym and they're doing whatever. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, now that has the trade-off that it's going to be slower and you're not going to get to 6 billion people right away and yeah. all the rest of it, but it, it, it is more of value. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, this is a good time, good opportunity to um, sell the uh, app that we have coming out. It's called uh, you train you, me and Robbie are going to be the uh, manufacturers of it. And, uh, it's going to be a life gain inside of it for those who know, know. And um, basically you're going to learn how to train yourself. And, uh, and that's our, that's our light punch in the face. This is a great opportunity to sell that as a product, as a sponsor for today. You train you app. It's coming soon. Look for it. And uh, it's going to be a game changer. It's going to, it's going to dissolve the fitness coaching universe and get people, uh, excited about exercising every day because they can and because it's for them you open the app and it's just a mirror it's just it's just the camera looking back at you you just gave it away it's like i was surprised by that <laughs> i am the source of my own autonomy and my own fitness progression what <laughs> what <laughs> all these directions look closer look closer look closer <laughs> And then Brandon has made a meme that somehow it's, it's a view getting ready to punch them in the face. And then somehow it actually does punch yeah. them in the face. It's like a, we, we've got, <laughs> we've instilled the, the high vibration, get rid of water component inside the phone. Yeah. Man, if you haven't trademarked the you train you yet, you got to get that. Okay. I'll write that down. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That was good. Yeah, I think that was a good one. Yeah, I, uh, thank you for that, Robbie. Um, just so we can close it up here so people don't have to listen to our goodbyes. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to, to move through that one today. Um, as always, there's lots more to discuss on it, but um, I hope uh, greedily that uh, those who were listening in continue to ask that question around defining impact. Yeah, when it comes to fitness, just, just keep asking the question and Hopefully we've got some, you know, thoughts for you to chew on based upon that. Yeah, agreed. I really enjoyed that.